Well, hello, Simon. Good to see you again. Hi, Ferry. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Great weather over here, so I'm in a great mood today. And also because we've got a very nice uh, guest. Oh, good. It's Patrick Hendricks. Ah. Good to see you, Patrick. Hello, Ferry, and hello, Simon. Good to see ah. you both. And you. And hear you. <laughs> We always start with uh, a little introduction, uh, Patrick, so if you would be so kind to tell us um, how you got into the business, what you did, and how you ended up here on this podcast. Sure. Uh, I started up in, actually not from the music industry, I came from the computer game industry, working with computer games, development of it, and sales and marketing. Then uh, I worked close with B&G Interactive, which, uh, which was a special unit handling only computer games at that time. And uh, I got hired from BMG Production Music in Scandinavia in 2001 and handled it as a Scandinavian manager doing sub-publishing deals for the, depend, not uh, depending on BMG own, but also independent labels from others uh, until 2008 when Universal basically bought the company, the old BMG. And at that time, I thought it was a good way to, you know, start up my own business. So I set up my own business doing sub-publishing deals uh, and also set up my own label called Adapt, uh, which is now sub-published by the various sub-publishers around the world. Uh, and then I joined this fabulous group, Library Music Publishers, and then I got in contact with you guys. <laughs> So there I am. When, 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 you talk about your, when you talk about your own label, can you just give us a, a description of what the label is all about? Yeah, uh, it's a Scandinavian label uh, with uh, basically only Swedish composers so far. And uh, we branded it, uh, me and my partner at that time, we branded it as a typical, we wanted to have it as a typical Swedish or Scandinavian touch uh, also within the sound of the music. So it should be very uh, typical Scandinavian sound because Sweden has a good export of artists and we wanted to do the same thing but within library music, a new kind of thinking. And that was how we branded the label as a unique Scandinavian label. And it's doing all right. Uh, we have sub-publishers all over the world and uh, yeah, it's very fun. Working with for, it. What, were, what were the huge differences between working for a big company like Universal and then starting your own label? Oh, it was quite different. Uh, other budgets, yeah. Uh, other salaries to non-existing salary, and uh, yeah, it, it was quite different in terms of. Uh, actually, I uh, when I worked for BMG um, as employee, then you have. Uh, your budget set up from the company of the majors and, and they basically tell you, well, you're not doing well enough or you have to cut down on costs and everything. So basically when I was set up my own business, I thought that I would have more sleepless nights, but I didn't. I slept better. Uh, it felt good, even if I didn't know how the business was going to be. Uh, but, but did BMG never tell you that you overperformed? Like you did a great job, or did you always have to perform more, more, more? No, no, no. I did well. I mean, it's it from when I got in there, I raised revenue within within four or five times the revenue within only four or five years. Wow. So I actually I, I had a interesting feedback from a guy called Simon Mortimer, which used to work for BMG Production Music, and he said to my boss, "Can we clone this guy?" because I need more of him in other territories. So, so I think that was a, a good feather in my hat. But um, yeah. yeah, but it was really fun. And I enjoyed working with BMG, really. All of the people, with the people in UK and Australia and everywhere. So what was the main reason to set up your own company? Uh, well, I, I was doing well with the... Uh, other labels and, and uh, I was also known for being label blind so not favorizing a catalog that was owned 
by DMG. I, I thought that uh, the, the, the quality of the music should do the best part for the client. The client chooses the quality of the music that was best suitable for, for that production. Uh, and after a while, I mean, I felt that this is something I can do. I got several suggestions from, from uh, a guy at Telemusik, who now sold it to BMG, the new BMG, Mr. Roger Torcas. And he said that if you ever consider setting up your own business, I fully support you with everything you need and, you know, contacts. And, and that grew, that thought. And after a while, I thought, well, I could do this. And what year was it you set up your own label, Patrick? My own label in 2009. Okay, so... Late, late 2009. In those 12 years, what, what would you say the major differences of, in the landscape are since when you started and what's happening now? You mean uh, in, in Sweden or uh, in general? Well, pr principally in Sweden, but also obviously in general. Yeah, I, uh, I would say... Looking at the production music business in, in Sweden, is it has totally changed okay. uh, from the way I used to work when I was at BMG when I started up. It was a total different landscape uh, with uh, in terms of competitors, how we work, how the the income was divided with between uh, the performance income and also the sync income. It was quite different from the way it is now, speaking of Sweden. And, and in some regions, I see the same thing happening as it did in, in Sweden, uh, in, I would say, in 2007, 2008. Uh, it started to change a bit. And, and what then, caused that change? It was a company, uh, not a pandemic company, but an epidemic sound company <laughs> set up and they changed uh, they changed the way of how business was run and, and also um, offering performance free music and and they actually in, in Sweden we have basically four major TV channels only you should consider that Sweden only has now 10 million inhabitants uh, I don't know how many there are in London, but I can assume there are. About the same. About the same, yeah. Uh, so the whole country has 10 million, and we have four major TV channels, and they also own um, some smaller also to that. And all of these four TV channels sign deals with Epidemic Sound. All four of them? All four of them. Wow. Uh, and that totally affected the business. This was in... I think in 2010, after a while, after one year after we set up our own label. And this changed the landscape totally. We, we soon saw that um, people, the TV channels urged the facility houses, the production companies to mainly use performance-free music. But what was the reason that the TV stations wanted to use uh, Epidemic because they could cut down on costs to the performing rights organizations? Yeah, correct. They wanted to see how it affected the usage of uh, copyright-protected music and also when it was performance-free. So in that way, they would try to reduce their cost to the performing society, which is STIM in Sweden. Uh, they tried it for two or three years, and then uh, one of the company uh, changed to work with one of the majors instead. The good thing is that the, this major company, they, they have on, only copyright protected music, so it, it wasn't any performance free. The bad side was that it was an, an exclusive deal, which meant that no other came in. So it was same, same. Well, so, uh, why, for, why, why, why was it an exclusive deal then? Because were there, was, were there kickbacks or? I don't know. I don't I haven't seen the agreement and this is something, of course. Are any of these stations state-owned stations? Are they all private stations? Uh, 
two of them are government owned by the Swedish government. And there's no fair play uh, agreements or anything that would even it out the usage. Yeah, the yeah, they have. Uh, they have. Uh, after, there was quite a hustle at that time, and they signed all. I mean, they have uh, agreement with us. They have agreement with many of the other publishers as well. So they are not only using Academic Sound, but they have all all others. And uh, one of the major private owned, they went so far that they said that 90% of all broadcasted music should be Epidemic Sound music. The remaining 10% should be divided to all other PRO-affiliated uh, uh, publishers. So 10% was divided into, you know, all the majors, uh, all the indie companies. And this I, is I, still still being done, but it's not official. It's nothing in writing. But when you talk to facility houses, production companies, they say that the TV channels strictly says that you should mainly use performance-free music. But that not must have been also uh, an incredible uh, loss of income for Steam. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, the only thing is that for Steam, uh, there are not so many publishers or sub-publishers within production music based in Sweden. They are basically uh, two majors and two independents and an epidemic sound. Uh, but there were more. So two of my f good friends, they had to close down the business one of them based in Finland and one of them based in Sweden. And this is duly main to, you know, these re apparent reasons. They couldn't go break even with their company, so they closed down, which is very sad, I think. So, so the, the second part of my question was mm. to open your observations out to the world. I, I would just bring a bit of information to this, that I spoke to the BBC, who mm. were... We're undergoing a bit of a change here in how music is presented to the BBC as a new platform opening up. And I asked the BBC if they if they use royalty-free labels or MCPS, non-MCPS labels, mm. and they said, yes, they've got 29 that they're now using. And I said, Does, is Epidemic included? And their quote was, oh, we don't go that far. We're, that's a bridge too far for us. So okay. the BBC has said at the moment that the, that business model is not on. But um, It's good to hear all the other ones, which are not that far behind, um, you know, are. So, you know, I think to, to me as an owner of a small label, I would see the same threat that you've experienced coming right down the pike. So mm. I wonder what, what advice you had to uh, the rest of the world who are going to experience what you've experienced. Is, have you developed any coping strategies, for instance? Yeah, well, one, one thing that happened after this was that... Uh, when I, when I started at BMG, the, the income was divided almost 50-50, 50% sync income and 50% performance. That was how the, the rates were constructed and how the income was. Um, after when Epidemic came up and also now some other com new startup companies, the, it has changed. So the sync income has gone down to almost zero. Right. Uh, the TV channels, uh, there's a major TV channel in Norway, and they have deals with, I think, five or six suppliers of music, including my company. And my company is the only company that still charges the sync fee. Wow. All I mean, others have decided to go zero. But, but, I mean, if you don't get any money from the back end, from the performing side, like Epidemic, and mm -hmm. you're also not charging sync fees, then mm -hmm. you make absolutely nothing. Exactly. So, so, so what's the so reason for those businesses to uh, they, they, give away music for free? Uh, they gave away for free the sync and uh, hoped that uh, the performance income would do great, and which it does. I mean, they, they are using a lot of music, but the, the funny part is that the biggest... Uh, supplier of music is my company to just to this TV channel and I'm the only one who's charging for the sync uh, not the other ones 
and looking at the, the performance is okay as well. But I mean, there's only one TV channel and one in Norway. There are mother, more TV channels in other countries as well. Sweden, Finland, Norway, Denmark. But if TV channels go so far that they use performance-free music or alternative uh, business license models, uh, then it's very hard to, you know, maintain your, your revenue. And I'd say this used to be a struggle for the publishers against Epidemic Sound, but my gut feeling now is that this has changed. This is no longer a struggle between us. This is a struggle between the PRO and Epidemic, because Epidemic is becoming more and more like a PRO, but working in a completely different way. So that's a challenge. So who are the, the writers for, for Epidemic don't get any... They're not members of a PRO, is that correct? No. Right. Correct. So are they therefore inferior writers? Uh, inferior, how I mean? Not as good? Well, they are good. Uh, the sad thing is that uh, some of the composers are uh, also... They used to be working for other labels, I don't say mention, mention the names, but uh, well-known labels owned by majors. Mm -hmm. uh, and they write for Epidemic Sound. So they make some tracks for Epidemic and some for the others as well. But the only thing that they don't uh, use, uh, they don't uh, sign the, the tracks to Stim. That's possible. You can be a, a, a writer... Yeah. And certain tracks you can sign up with Steam, yeah. and others you can leave Exclude, uh, outside exactly. Steam. Okay, yeah. you using the same name or using a pseudonym? They don't have any name at all because this was also a, a very hot, hot discussed area. Oh. Yeah. Is that uh, they don't use their composer name; they use synonyms or something, you know, an artist name or yeah. just make up anything. And and uh, when. Uh, the TV channels report to Stim. They use off mostly SoundMouse, and then they have a Epidemic Sound has constructed a function within SoundMouse that you put in the title, and then you said this is from Epidemic Sound, and then you don't have to write in the composer. So Epidemic Sounds is like the composer, <sighs> and they are sinking. It's Sam House are the people who are about to give us our, who are taking over the platform for the BBC. Mm. And if Epidemic are so interlinked with Sam House, that doesn't, you know, that sounds dangerous here as well, even though I've been told at the BBC that they're not intending to use Epidemic. But if they're in bed together, then yeah, you know, yeah. that's we've got a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Absolutely. Wow. Wow. We have it for several years, and, and it's this is now... It's a very suitable name, I think, Epidemic <laughs> Sound, because it's very, you know, just like the world we're living in today. It's a pandemic. But I must say a credit to their... their I always admire, you know, new competitors and new business models if it's healthy for the market and it, if it doesn't exclude crea creativity from composers. But buying out all the rights and uh, then make a lot of money and get a lot of investments from in investors. Uh, and the funny part is that the company has, hasn't done any positive EBITDA, no res good results, only negative for several but, years. But what strikes me, Patrick, is that the composers who wrote for traditional labels, mm. you know, so they, 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 they knew that they could get money from the back end from the from the performance yeah they also decided to write tracks for epidemic yeah which is like a one-time fee it is no nothing at the back end no it must have been attractive to them to do that yeah because, because otherwise uh, you would you would choose for for the old business model and when when epidemic sound they when they started up the company they they started up in paying 600 swedish crown that's 60 euro for one track 60. 60 euro for one track. And then they could use the track wherever they want. All media, global. 
everything for life. And this has changed. So now they are paying much more for one single track or for an album. So there are composers which are now, I mean, they, they put together one album with maybe 15 or 20 tracks, including stems, cut-down versions and everything, and it sounds really good. And they get upfront direct money uh, so much that they think that this generates more than I would get the income from directly from a um, uh, copyright-protected label. And also, right? including right? the, and also including the performance in four or five years. They are get they the right? Is that true? Are yeah. they making more by, by getting money Some directly from... doing really good, yeah. And the, 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 the quality of the music is getting better and better. When I started working with BMG, most of the, you know, the, the feedback you got from clients when, when we, you met new clients, they said, well, this is music, elevator music. And I said, no, 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 this has totally changed. And the quality was really, really good. And it started up to being more and more within all labels, not only the labels owned by BMG, also the, the independent ones getting better and better. And now it sounds really, really good, I think. Regardless, if you go to, you know, like I listen to Pierre Michel at BAM, really great music from BAM. Uh, Epidemic has become really good as well. Artlist is also having good, some of the tracks are really, really good. And, and this is, you know, for the clients, it's very confusing because then the quality is not the issue whether they should choose Artlist, Epidemic, or anyone else. And now it's mainly the business model that is affecting why they choose Epidemic, why they choose smaller clients, why do they choose Artlist or Audio Socket, a brand new company set up recently. Why do they choose them and not other ones? And it's the business model. It's the... The, the um, very creative side of how they uh, show their label on the website, in Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. They cover all media so they have a good exp uh, expo for the clients. And this is, is something I think you and I and everyone else should be more, put more effort in, in displaying the music uh, in various medias. And also, in parallel to that, talk to the PRO and make them aware of the situation going on in, in Sweden, because this is spreading. I know that Epidemic Sound made deals with Sky in the UK, Sky News. They made deal with a huge TV station also in Germany. They have set up their company, their affiliates in, in the US, in Holland, I think, as well, in Germany. So they are spreading slowly more and more. It's actually it's interesting um, because we, we've talked to mainly traditional labels. We have talked to Artlist uh, most recently, but um, mm. and, and all these traditional labels. When when we ask them how they're countering the threat of the disruptors like Epidemic, mm. unanimously they said, "Oh, quality. We're making our music really high quality, so it's so it's better than." The disruptors and, and yeah. artlist. When we talked to them, we said, "So, what's your unique selling proposition? Mm. Quality." They said that we're putting all our effort into quality. So, most traditional labels are fooling themselves. I mean, you're you're endorsing this. That it's all mm. the quality now is pretty. It's a level playing field. It's the business yeah. model that's mm. the different thing. And so, I would observe that most people are looking in the wrong direction at the moment. They're not seeing what you're seeing perhaps because you've been disrupted a little bit earlier than the rest of us. Um, yeah, and for some time now as well. Yeah. I mean, this this has been going on. So I'm, I'm not uh, surprised that it pops up, you know, new new companies. Like last week, I think, I saw this Audio Socket, which, which is a new, brand new company. They have 80,000 tracks, and the website looks terrific. The sound of the music is really good. It's a good quality, but yeah. they have a total different way of licensing music, and this will affect 
business absolutely for artists because they will be affected by this. So, yeah. but, but don't you also think, Patrick, that um, because we spoke to Ori Winokur from Artlist, Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he said is that um, geographical territories, that's so old-fashioned. I mean, mm-hmm. when you sub-publish uh, a label, mm-hmm. you sub-publish it in Scandinavia or a co- just a couple of countries. Yeah. We do it in the Benelux. Someone else does it in, in the States. Yeah. So you have to build a website, mm-hmm. which you can only aim for people that live in your territory. Mm-hmm. So you, you make a huge investment... You have to compete with websites like Artlist, Epidemic, yeah. but the, the audience that you reach is so limited. It is, yeah, absolutely. And so you also is, think that uh, geographical restrictions is something of the past? Yeah, I would say so. It, it, it becomes more and more clear. I think that, uh, to be honest, I think that sub-publishing, if you work only with sub-publishing, I think that business will reduce heavily in the coming years. And now you will see original publishers working more and more globally using strategic partners, either clients or music supervisors. I mean, it's very easy to find music supervisors in other regions. If you don't have an agent in, say, in the UK or in the US, it's very easy to find music music supervisors in, in, in the US, maybe one in New York, one in Los Angeles, one in Texas. And then you go in UK and you find a couple of there as well and say, you can, uh, we can make a direct, direct deal. Yeah. Same. So I was just going to say, so that seems to me to preclude the idea of territory, but it also works against the idea of exclusivity. So you're saying, you know, rather than have an exclusive sub-publisher in, a, in the USA for your product, you might have a, rep, a sales representative in New York and or a musical supervisor, say, in New York, one in Chicago, one in LA, and you don't have an exclusive deal with any of them. You you just let the market play as it as as if you were selling any other product. So yeah. are you saying also that exclusivity is kind of a thing of the past? Uh, I, I don't, I hope it, it won't be that way uh, because I have only exclusive deals with my sub-publishers. But if I look in a longer term, uh, this makes more or less sense. That Because you can see already that the online companies offering this kind of business opportunity. They are growing all the time. If you look at the, I can just mention some figures. If you look at the uh, epidemic sound, the turnover they had in 2019, because 2020 figures are not ready yet. And this is official, so it's no secret. Uh, in 2019, they had a revenue of 35 million euro. Hmm. Uh, the closest music publisher in Sweden working with production music was a major one. Uh, no names, but they had a revenue on 5 million euro. So that the 35 means, of Epidemic is also yeah, in Scandinavia. Yeah. But it's they, not worldwide, it's Scandinavia. No, it's, it's worldwide. Uh, that, this I don't see, but I, I can imagine since Epidemic Sound is working on a worldwide basis. Yes, okay. So, so it should be worldwide. That, I can't get my head around the fact how a company that's making only 35 million a year has a valuation of 1.2 billion, which is what yeah, I understand. Me neither. Me neither. How does, I don't how know. does that work? I don't I mean, know. It's Be- interesting when we queried uh, Artlist about this because they, they said their value lay outside their copyrights. Yeah, my my. I don't. This is only a gut feeling I have, but I have a, a small gut feeling that they have uh, an option B. There's something else going on, which will probably be maybe that they use the. You know, they they have an excellent website. They have an excellent way of distributing music. Uh, maybe they will use their technique and alter it a bit and put it into other areas, like editing, maybe. Uh, 
companies selling photographs, you know, they, they can grow. They have a plan B where they yeah. will use their knowledge or their technique or solution in other areas. And that's why the investors probably put in so much money in the company because they know something more that the three of us don't know. Yeah. But this is only an assumption. I don't know if that's the fact, but I I guess there, there's something because if you look at the figures, if I was an investor, I would basically wanted to see some kind of return of the income of the investment I made, either in, in a plan of three, five years, I would see that, okay, in year five, my investment would be back to me. And after that, I will see income coming. But Epidemic Sound, they have a negative EBITDA since they started. Since they yeah, but their, their growth is huge. I think it's like two, three hundred percent per year. Yeah. So if it's now 35 million or in 2019, then mm. 2020 would be 70 million. Probably, yeah. It's going to be bigger. But the, the, uh, they don't make any profit. There's no profit in the company. No, but that's 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 startup thing, yeah. right? Yeah, that's but tech it's, thing. It's been since two thousand and nine, two thousand and eight, when they started up. So they had twelve years, and still, they are not making money in the company. Well, isn't that the same with Spotify? Yep. Yeah, but they have a better. I think their profit is getting better. But I don't. I haven't seen the figures. But uh, so it's an interesting. Yeah. So, Patrick, how, how do you disrupt the disruptors then? What's your advice? Uh, well, it's a tricky one. <laughs> I mean, uh, you said, you said, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but you said you know, we all need to get a bit more savvy about our online presence and things. But yeah. that's just chasing. That's not disrupting. That's chasing. No. Uh, and if you've got a capitalization of 1.2 billion you can put as much marketing as you need to, yeah. and we will never compete with that we, you know let's no. just forget that so the, i'm interested if you have a kind of uh, something you could share about how you think the disruptors can be disrupted and it seems to me you've already outlined one which is to reduce your sync fees to zero mm. uh that's pretty disruptive because it's mm. 200 a year less than artlist but yeah, that's that's not working, is it? I mean, that's, no, that's, no. it just, just destroys your own business. It, it, basically, it's a it's a short time solution, but it doesn't help in the longer in the longer end. It it will it will make you the company go bad, and you have to cut down on your cost if you have employees and stuff like that. I think that one way to work at it is also to make the PROs very aware of this situation and also uh, talk to them and maybe involve STEM with the other PROs uh, as an, you know, about the information on how can we make this a better solution. Because in, in, uh, in the UK, I know that you have the MCPS. We don't have that system in Sweden. Every publisher handles everything by themselves. But it should, be an, it should be better to have an MCPS version in Sweden because then it would be more attractive for other publishers to sign with you know, companies like mine in independence. Because this is a problem as well. When we have publishers that they don't want to you know, touch in Sweden, they don't want to be because it's a affected area. So, but I think talking to the PROs, and I know for a fact that... Um, there are many people within Steam or Scop. It's a great company, which is partly owned by Steam. Uh, they are also struggling hard in in Brussels in Europe about uh, protecting the the composers and copyright protected music. But it's also it's one way, but and it's a long term way of working. Uh, but the, the think, big question, of course, is do the traditional publishers have that much time? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't have the answer to that. And, I mean, you, you talk sort of with rosy, rose-tinted views about MCPS. I mean, there are, there are, it's, 
you know, it has its own drawbacks and not the least is, as I understand from some of the major broadcasters, is, is that it's seen as a bit slow, a bit uh, mm. expensive. Um, yeah. And from our point of view, the, the you know, we would just love them to be a bit more flexible, a bit more light on their feet, if you like, to help us uh, license to our, our users a bit quicker, a bit more easily. So, mm. you know, it, it's a bit of a monolith and it's, a, I th- you know, it's the ownership is, is something else. Yeah. Uh, so I, mean, I think if you do come up with a, pro- a project like that in Sweden, make sure it's kind of fit for purpose, if you like. Sure. And yeah. um, very much a modern sort of, um, light on its feet type of organisation. I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I take your point that really what we should be doing is talking to our PROs and saying, yeah. you know, this is what's coming down the track. How great is it for you? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not, is it? No, I mean, if if, uh, if you look on, uh, like I mentioned earlier in this in, uh, podcast, is that uh, earlier uh, it was more, um, how should I put this? Uh, it was... Sorry, I lost the thread here. No, no, sorry. Okay, no worries. Um, When we were talking to Artlist episode before, uh, Ori was also telling us that um, he was talking to someone in Israel who was developing a system where copyrights could be paid out immediately after it was has been on air. Okay. So you hear your song on the radio and you get a, you get a message on your phone and you got payment, direct mm-hmm. payment for the performance of the copyright. Okay. Uh, and I think that what I got from, from Artlist is that that's also what they're interested in. They want to control the payment of royalties. So basically, Artlist is going to be the disruptor to the PROs. Okay. All right. And that's something that uh, was completely new to me, but it's understandable because if you control everything yeah. and you can make money, of course, mm-hmm. on transferring money, if you charge 2% commission fee on everything, yeah. it's a hell of a lot cheaper than the PROs uh, handle your uh, your performance income. Absolutely, yeah. Another interesting, what I was going to mention earlier, is that um, Epidemic Sun also has... Uh, now become a threat to uh, not only production music, but also to indie labels within uh, core music, you know, pop industry, because they are offering better deals uh, when played in Spotify than traditional record labels. So the splits are better. They got upfront the upfront fee for the track, that's one thing, but they also get royalty on Spotify, where they, which they share, share, and the splits are much better than doing it with a traditional record label or publisher. And so this, it's not just production music anymore, it's no, music. It's, tradi- oh, you know, core music, pop music, and it's getting into that. And they have extracted some of the tracks from these, I think they have 32,000 tracks, and they are using five or six thousand tracks with branded indie artists uh, and get on the playlists so they are used, they are working in a quite different way as they used to be from the start mm-hmm. and this attract of course you know artists that have, couldn't get a deal with some of the majors or something uh, so they get to to uh, epidemic sound and they get better splits on the Spotify or Deezer or wherever they get music get distributed, and also as the production music. So they are working in several ways. As we are in production music, we are working working in, in one way, but they are seeing it in different areas of exploiting their music, which is very creative, I must say, to their credit, but, but it's it's going to affect also the traditional record labels. They're going to be affected by epidemic. I'm 100% sure. Just coming back to your role as a sub-publisher, Patrick, so the landscape's changed in in your territories, so people looking for you to sub-publish their material in in your territories, that must 
it must take some convincing you for you to convince them that it's worth them putting their material in your hands if it's such a struggle. I mean, it's a very different activity from publishing your own label to sub-publishing, isn't it? Yeah, so it's, um, yeah. Is, it, is it changing how, how publishers are reacting to you? I mean, do they, they don't want to hear the bad news, I suppose. They want to hear... No, of course uh, not. I mean, they, I wouldn't want to hear that as well. But, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm, quite, I'm quite honest with everyone because uh, I have been that since I started up. And I think I want to assure people that this is what I believe and what I think the business is in in my region where I know my business, my clients. And I tell them that the sink fee is it's reduced. In some areas, it's zero. In some others, there are some. But, but uh, I mean, if we have, um, like it mentioned earlier, these TV stations making direct deals with either the majors or, or with the Epidemic Sound, it's very hard for indie labels to get in. So I don't have a chance in letting the client exploit the music. And even if I do, someone up there tells them that you cannot use this because we have a setup with this company or that company. That company yeah. yeah, and that's, that excludes everything. So even if I work, you know, as my own <laughs> businessman, I work many hours a day, it doesn't matter because you, you get the door and say, no, no, no. Actually, I went to a facility house, one of the biggest one in Stockholm a couple of years ago, and they had small post-it, you know, these notes on the editor rooms where it says, use only ES, use only ES, use only ES. Wow. And that was, you know, quite depressing when I came there and, you know, hello, I got some hard drives, I got, you know, a brand new Sonofine system, and I said, no, sounds great, but thank you, you can leave it here. So I assume you're also not very keen on signing new labels to represent them, because the pie is getting smaller. Yeah, exactly. Um, And you don't want more content then. No. So is that, is that another problem that we, we talk about uh, that, uh, a lot in, in this uh, podcast? There is so much music coming out, so much music being released by all the existing labels. Mm. Is that a good thing? I think it's good because uh, as a creator, if you're working as an editor, you always need to hear more music and, and uh, make, and poss- make it possible to use the track that you want for that kind of production, whatever it is. So I think that more music is good. The only problem we have in in Sweden and also in some close-by territories is the fact that the music cannot be played due to a business model, a business setup. But I think the whole idea of having as much as music as possible offering to the client, that would be great. Uh, regardless if it's through one independent label or if it would be a Swedish version of MCPS, where they have a you know a total big bunch of music uh, offering to the client, but this is not the case in Sweden. So that's why it's very. I I hate I hate to say to a publisher that while you have great music, the quality sounds great, but I cannot sign you because probably I won't show any turnover in the coming one or two years. And normally it would take three to six months and then we would see something. So the business landscape has totally changed and I don't like it at all. I don't like it at all. And it's it's a struggle every day to, you know, find alternative ways of working, regardless if it's my own label, because they are that adapt label that I have is also affected, of course, in, in, in my regions. So it's not only that adapt is excluded from this. It, it goes for everyone. And I, again, like I said, I'm label blind. So if it's my label or if it's Sonaton or if it's uh, brilliant music, I mean, it's, or evolution, sounds really good and let the clients have it. But if I get stopped at the door and saying, well, I'm sorry, you cannot go in here. You cannot leave your music or share it because we have a setup, we have a deal. Then it's very hard. 
Is that also the reason that uh, I hear a lot of stories from original publishers that they just can't get any uh, anyone to sub-publish them in Scandinavia? Yeah, I'm, that's what I think. But I mean, uh, there are some independent sub-publishers in Scandinavia, but uh, they are working from other territories. They are maybe based in, for instance, in, in Denmark. There are some great sub-publishers there where they sign a lot of labels, but they work in Sweden, but are based in Denmark. They work in Norway, but are based in Denmark. But uh, if, if this business model or this way of working, licensing in Sweden is spreading, it's going to be affected also in those territories. And the original publishers, they will probably see that, that the turnover will go down or don't come at all. Yeah, my experience just from an email today is that it is spreading and that there are territories you know, further south from you that are citing exactly the same reason, epidemic, mm. uh, smaller income from the PROs, exactly what you've outlined. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if if you're slightly ahead of the game, then it's it's you know it's this is all happening worldwide. I just want to broaden it out a little bit, Patrick, if I may, and just say sure. you know if if we look at the the wider music business, which was disrupted earlier than us, what's mm. ended up is Spotify, Apple Music, very big monolithic, and and not many competitors. Of course, Deezer's around and things, but the, mm. really Spotify's got the market. I yeah. wonder if you thought that Epidemic and Artlist and Audio Socket and all these are going to go to war at some point and reduce down to one megalithic company, or whether you uh, and that's kind of leaving us aside, or, or whether they will happily coexist till they've chewed <laughs> chewed the traditional library market up. Um, what yeah, do you think is going to happen? I, I'm not really sure what will happen because um, they are working in in. Uh, they all have they all have their own opinions of how to work the market. Epidemic Sound is very unique in uh, they were first with offering performance free music only for production music um, clients, and and now they have the past years they have gone into Spotify as well. Uh, I don't know the art the intentions of Artlist or AudioSocket, but I maybe it's the same maybe. I'm not really sure, but but uh, and you have to also think of that the the founders of Epidemic Sound, some of them used to work for this TV channel that I mentioned, that put 90% Epidemic Sound, 10% all for the others. They worked for that company, and they saw that. Look at this. There's a lot of production music being used. But the problem is that you always have to make a clearance for, you know, whether it's going to be on DVD, it's going to be online, on Facebook. Why doesn't, haven't anyone thought of the idea of having a one-shop solution where you can pay one fee each month or annually and cover all the rights, everything in it? And that's how it started. Yeah, I think that's one of probably the the, the, the main problems that mm. the traditional production music industry created themselves. Yeah, it's a licensing um, a nightmare. Yeah. You want to use it in television, for example, in the Netherlands, you can use it in television. You don't have to pay sync, mm. but when you want to put it on DVD or you want to export a TV program outside the Netherlands, yeah, then you have to pay extra. And of course, yeah. it's very difficult for a a producer of, of such content yeah. to to uh, to make sure that everything is is dealt with in a in an orderly fashion, yeah. and also they keep on paying more and more every time, and they don't yeah, want exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. No. And and they have their budgets as at was as well. I mean, and also it's quite easy then to to see if you have an alternative like Epidemic Sound or Artlist or this latest audio socket, you pay and maybe an annual fee. And you can use as many tracks as you want in how many, you know, in podcast, in Facebook, in Instagram, on internal film or corporate films or whatever, or TV or movies, depending on what kind of license you have signed. Yeah, and this has happened also in, in Scandinavia that traditionally, it, it when I started at BMG, there was mainly 
only cue sheets. They faxed or sent by letter the cue sheets. That, that is gone, way gone. Now it's more like an annual deal. We make an annual deal for this amount of money. You can do as many of this production as you want to. And of course, you do. You have to report to STEM or Teosto in no, Finland. No, no admin work, nothing. Yeah. No, no, no. Just to but, keep but, it simple. But what I think is interesting is, um, I don't know whether you know the answer to that, mm. that television station you're mentioning that's using Epidemic, they mm. pay a fee to Epidemic. Yeah. Do you happen to know, and of course, because they're using Epidemic, they can deduct a certain amount from the payment to the PRO. Yeah. So that must be, they must save money there, because otherwise they don't do it. No, 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 of course. There, so some... do you have an idea how much money Epidemic is getting for a yearly uh, blanket fee, and how much um, money the TV station is saving because they don't have to pay to the PRO? I don't know. Uh, I mean, some of the prices that Epidemic offer are online. So you can, if you go to the website, you can see how they are putting up the rates. But they are not putting up, of course, TV station, their deals. I don't know the amount. I have heard that one of the channels, that they pay 100,000 each month, Swedish kroner, that is 10,000 euro, for a TV channel. A month, and they can use as much as they want to. And how much are they saving on not paying performance to Steam? I don't know. I mean, I know that uh, the TV channels they have their deals with Steam, which is, which, uh, they are unfortunately not official. So I don't know the exact amount what they pay. But since they are still having the deals with Epidemic, they must Steam must see a reduction of music being used. They must see that less and less of library music or, or even core music is being used because there's another alternative partner. Mm. But I don't know if the PRO has uh, put in some effort in uh, you know, cutting down this into pieces and see where, where do we lose money? Why do we lose money? The only thing I heard from Steam is is that uh, they are losing more and more composers, and they don't know why. And some of the composers, they, when it comes to library music, they come to my company and saying, I want to uh, compose music for you. And I said, have you, have you done any music at all? Well, I've done for Epidemic Sound. And if I mention that how we work and how we pay our composers with you know, mechanical income and also the performance, and then say, well, it will take me three or ten years to get this income. When I go to Epidemic, I work, excuse my French, I work my ass off for one month and I can buy myself a new car. Can you offer that? And I said, no, it's not possible. So it's, it's changing. And, and this is the feedback I heard from Stim, saying that they are losing not on a daily basis, but continuously. They are work losing composers, not only library composers, but also composers that they are not called Max Martin or some, you know, one of the biggest big earners. Names, yeah. yeah, big names. They're the small ones. And they think that, well, if I go to Epidemic, I get upfront money. And I also, including, I get some uh, royalties from uh, Spotify. And they take care of setting up playlists and how my music is exposed and doing all that as a record label should do and they are doing it as well so they are very efficient it's very creative people it's no you know they are very talented Patrick, it's, I mean, it's, it's an odd it's it's, just, it's very difficult to compete with a business that doesn't need to make a profit mm. so you know if you're saying that epidemic doesn't make a profit so mm. uh Whatever size business you are, most businesses, the whole purpose is to make profit. I mean, and that's if you don't do that, the business doesn't last very long. Whereas you're saying that the the major disruptor in your market is a business that doesn't make any money no. um, and can afford to pay a car for yeah. an album, a couple of albums a month, and because there's no relationship between the income and what they have. No. So I mean, 
my head is spinning. How do we compete with that? Well, <laughs> I mean, welcome to my world. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, well, thank you very much for showing us your world. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, yeah, it's, but do you still have a positive outlook for, yeah, for you your do. business? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, we have changed a bit uh, here as well. I mean, I, I, I now I'm running the business on my own. It, we used to be two, me and my colleague Pernilla, which is a great composer, but she decided to focus only on composing because she has uh, also uh, several uh, working for other labels, not only for ADAPT, but also for, you know, BMG but and not, others. But not, uh, not Epidemic. Absolutely not Epidemic. <laughs> In that case, I, I told her that uh, we were, our friendship is definitely over. <laughs> but no, no Epidemic. But, but she's, you know, we are talking continuously about this, and she says that I can understand why some composers go to Epidemic because they get upfront money. And if the quality is good and they get paid directly, and it's not 600 or 1,000 kroner, it's, it's, you know, it can be to up to 10,000 euro for, for an album or, or a project that they have. And if it make that once a month, well, yeah, you got a nice income. Yeah, mm. if you look at annually, it's it's okay. I mean, so, but I mean, going back to what I think, uh, uh, I believe in in uh, copyright protected music, and I believe in working the traditional way. But I constantly look at, you know, new ways of distributing the music. I'm thinking of, is, is it better to maintain the sub-publishers or is it better to go directly? And if I do that, then I have to have, a, you know, an, 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 a, a website and a, a business solution that'll, that will do great. Uh, and I'm not there. And I don't want to lose my sub-publishers because I strongly believe in this is the best way of doing it. Quite recently, actually, there's a company owned by Stim, which is called Cora Music. And Cora Music is targeted to uh, sell and offer music to YouTube influencers only. And this is an area where Epidemic has control 100%. No one else, because of the YouTube, you know, you get a claim. Claim monetization. Uh, on yeah. the content idea. But Epidemic Sound, there is no, never no claim. And now they have talked to several pop music labels. And uh, the, the only thing is that you have to control the music 100%. Master and publishing rights. And they have signed, I think there are now about 10 suppliers of music. And only one production music label guess which one i guess it's yours oh yes <laughs> oh is that yes. <laughs> just spell the core is it q u or c c c o r a core okay Cora well, thanks music. for sharing that yeah yeah uh, and well, they they have set up this uh, model it's going to be launched in may uh, and uh, they will have i think around altogether twenty thousand tracks or something is their aim uh, when they launch it. And it's going to be only launched initially in Sweden, then Scandinavia, then Europe. And when they get to Europe, they will probably contact some of you guys because they would need more content yeah. where you control master and publishing rights. It's only pity that for Simon it's not going to work because the... UK has left Europe, so no deal okay. for you, Simon. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Brexit. We this are this was a joke, very, Simon. Don't no, look so right. seriously. <laughs> we are the new Europe. You can the new an, dawn. You can have an affiliate in another country. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we're not yeah. sure who to affiliate with at the moment. Oh, okay. No, well, I'll gladly um, share your information and uh, how's it going when, when they set up so you great. will be informed of, about this new new kind of business model, which will be a direct threat to epidemic sound. Mm. Oh. We are hitting them by the balls, as we say. 
So well, hopefully it will go well, and hopefully we can expand this and grow into other territories as well. It's only one the, way of, you know, meeting epidemic sound. There are other ways, but I think that PROs all over the world have to be very observant, and they must realize that this threat is bigger than they first assumed. I think that's a great note to end this podcast, uh, because otherwise, if if I hear more stories about what's not going well in Scandinavia, yeah. I just not need one glass of scotch. I need a complete bottle. Yeah. I don't know about you, Simon, but but thank you very much for sharing all the information, Patrick. Very interesting, and I hope that the people who listen to this podcast, who are based in other countries, realize that this is not just limited to your territory. This will come to their country as well. Eventually, yeah, eventually it's it's spreading. So, uh, sorry to break the bad news, but I mean it's the, it's their it's the world we are living. And, it's a reality and, uh, check. It's very yeah, useful. It's a reality check, and I can assure you that all my single malt whiskies are empty. <laughs> the, the bottles they are left, they are all empty. So, only focus on doing good business nowadays. So. Okay. Well, thank you very much for uh, being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And I wish you a, a happy Easter holiday to both and of you. And to you. Very good. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. Take care. Bye.